Welcome to this remastered version of a 2015 series called Jajawarung Radio. This series was made possible by a community grant from the Mount Alexander Shire Council. Created for Main FM to be aired as short 5 to 10 minute segments to highlight and celebrate local Indigenous culture past and present. The series was shortlisted for the 2016 Reconciliation Victoria Heart Awards. For ease of listening, we've edited them together into 30 to 40 minute episodes and have linked episodes by theme rather than representing the order that they were originally broadcast in. So every time you hear the didgeridoo, you'll know it's the beginning or the end of an episode. We hope you enjoy it. Listening to a glimpse into the history and culture of the Jajawarung people. Presented by Uncle Rick Nelson and Ali Hanley. In today's episode, we'll be talking to Marguerite Stevens, who's an historian. She teaches Indigenous history with Dr. Fred Carr at Federation University. And she has been studying the early colonial history of first contact between white people in Australia and the Aboriginal people through the eyes of a white man whose job it was to protect the Aboriginal people or represent them. I've had an interest in uh, the the journal of William Thomas for some years now and uh, transcribed that journal, a sort of five-year process. But the journal itself covers uh, nearly 30 years of um, the work of uh, assistant protector William Thomas and then his work as guardian of Aboriginal people in Victoria. So it's an enormously rich source of information about Aboriginal people in that uh, time of uh, colonial invasion. Dates uh, from the um, uh, uh, the protectorate starts about three years after the arrival of Batman and uh, Faulkner and uh, at Port Phillip, but it really comes out of a period of um, sort of phil- philanthropic politics, uh, evangelical philanthropic politics in Britain. Um, um, sort of initiated by the same people who uh, fought the anti-slavery campaigns and and Thomas, um, while he's uh, paternalistic and uh, he's quite cruel in some ways, it's still a, a, a time in which there are real connections between Aboriginal people and settlers. Um, some good, some bad connections, but um, close connections nevertheless. But part of his role was as a magistrate um, commissioned as magistrates, they were able to arrest people, they were able to invest, uh, investigate massacres um, and Thomas was uh, quite determined to do that so that um, th- the fact of the government having a uh, legal eye on settlers I think probably had uh, limited the violence. Now it was a, a violent um, frontier but it could have been worse. I think the general um, consensus is that while Aboriginal people died in huge numbers, huge proportion, that more of the deaths were due to 
disease than they were to actual violence on the frontier. In, in central Victoria, the violence is, there's huge levels of violence out in Gippsland, around Portland Bay, um, up on the Murray at a later point. But that central part where the protectors were active, there's some restraint on violence. It, it's, it's relative and it, it's a... Of course, we've got Protector Parker here, Edward Stone Parker, um, who played a big role in the Judge Young people and stuff. So I see that protect, uh, Parker and, and Thomas were you know, quite, um, like you say, active and stuff in helping the Aboriginal people. Would you say that? Um, yes, I think, um, look, how, I how do we talk about these things? It's, 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 it is an enormously... Um, it's, it's a, a terrible process of colonisation. It's a terrible process of people's land, country being taken. It's enormous impact, and yet, can you say it could have been worse? It was terrible, but it could have been worse. It's um, I, I, I hesitate to say that, and yet, I think that's possibly the truth. The Aboriginal people, I don't think, will ever forget mm. of what's happened. If you understand, even into the future, I mean, the future generations, we can never forget what, what's actually happened. That there was atrocities happening, and, and you know, the land was taken, the culture was taken, the language was taken, and, and all that. Some of the and some of the some of the uh, missionaries um, seemed quite cruel. Like they wouldn't let them speak the language, they wouldn't let them hunt mm. traditionally. They burnt their spears uh, and all that. So uh, uh, it is a fine line to talk about sometimes. Um. As a person of European descent, uh, we, we Europeans very easily forgot about it. It was in our interest to forget about it, not, not in yours. Um, doing this work has sort of uh, given me a sense of that, that deeper history, but also the current continuing connections that people have to land, that um, we European-related people need to, need to remember. It's... Um, I have always felt um, sort of unsure about doing this work and yet I've found it, for me, it was a, it's been a, a sort of um, a place of, um, I think, quite deep learning about what happened here and our place in that. The supreme value of Thomas's material is that it's a daily journal and he records all sorts of little details that don't get into the quarterly reports and the annual reports. That's the sort of, that, that level of daily detail is, is always stripped out for those uh, formal reports, but in the journal, which was a, a layered thing, a sort of a, a first writing, a second cleaning up, a third um, formal report, but if you go back into the first first versions of it you get little details like the children playing with tops we, we learn things about children um, it, Thomas having sort of wooden letters for them to read one lovely piece that, that I love is with him negotiating with people about with uh, the men essentially of the Woiwurrung whether they will um, allow whether they will be come into the church altogether um, the men say they can't sit in that space with, with the women and what they negotiate is that they will build a second door and so the women can come in one door, the men in the other. Um, it's that sort of little detail, uh, little details like that are, that are scattered all through it. But um, so, so it gets right to that sort of daily lived experience. Um, and conversations, conversations are recorded. A woman down in... Um, 
Western port saying this is my country and pointing out this is my country. Um, no question about that. And um, Thomas going on walks with people across Western Port he, and he went up the, the Plenty River with people and they at one point showed him a, um, what I think must have been like a sacred board that was hidden away. And then there's the sort of, at that point, there's the crossing into Tungarong territory and the description of the mountains and the description of people uh, walking towards him. Who, he'd come up the Plenty River with the Woiwurrung people and he meets the Tungarong people coming and the sort of descriptions of, of that. It's this, it's this sort of uh, detail that makes them so rich. Can I just say, lastly, that the journals were... Um, uh, published by the Victorian Aboriginal Corporation for Language, and uh, any uh, and that they can be uh, bought from Vackle um, in Melbourne. Marguerite Stevens, there, historian from Federation University, having a chat to us about her research and what it's revealed to her over the many years that she's been doing it. Rick, today is Sorry Day, so can you tell us a little bit about Sorry Day and what it means? Yep, certainly. Um, I'll can try. Um, in a nutshell, basically, it's a, a celebration type day. The Australian government eventually finally recognised and, and admitted that the stolen generation, um, you know, the taking of Indigenous kids, um, um, actually happened. Mm. So that's a recognised. So, but it wasn't recognised for a very long time, was it? And it took um, a report from the Australian Human Rights Commission called "Bringing Them Home" uh, to bring it home to Australia that yep. there was a, such a thing as a basically a generation of children stolen from ag- oh. Aboriginal communities and the damage that that caused. More, the, than, more than a generation, mate. Many generations. From, yeah, the yeah. mid-1800s to mid-1900s. So, I mean, the, the reason why generations of children were stolen was, it seems to be the idea that people at the time, um, the white folk who were in power here, really felt like purebred Aboriginal race was just going to die out and they they were they didn't seem upset by that they were quite happy for that to happen because then Australia really would be theirs yeah and yep, the white Australia policy yeah. yeah but what they were doing was taking any children of mixed blood so any children who had some kind of um, European or ethnically Caucasian breeding, bio- yeah. breeding yeah. and uh, removing them from their home and their community and their Aboriginal heritage. And they putting were, them on into reserves and stations and schools and mm, things. And, and missions. And, missions and, uh, and refusing to let them speak language or learn or remember any of their cultural heritage of their Aboriginal side. Yep, exactly. And, and a funny thing is, Ali, here, I've got a, a little quote thing, and it says the boys were actually called inmates. Yeah, they weren't referred to as students or um, wards of the state. They were called inmates. Oh, that's terrible. It sort of shows the underlying uh, expectations and prejudice that were there right from the start. Um, It is really interesting because they were removed for their own good and the justification was very often that these children were being neglected and they didn't have a good quality of life with their mothers or their Their families. Their parents and families and stuff, that's right. Um, So Um, there was a guy uh, in South Australia, for example, who 
uh, William Garnet South. He lobbied for the power to remove Aboriginal children without a court hearing. He wanted to be able to take them without going through court each time. Yeah. Um, because the courts sometimes refused to accept that the children were actually neglected or destitute. And I think that's quite telling, isn't it? He actually just wanted to take them all, regardless of what their actual conditions were. And the irony, again, is that um, they were often taken to institutions um, and these missions or government institutions or children's home were often really poor and the resources were so insufficient that the children weren't adequately clothed, fed or sheltered Anyway, exactly. So they probably weren't that better off anyway. <laughs> they were definitely not better off. And a lot of there's a lot of reports of um, physical and sexual abuse, all, all kinds of abuse happening. Yep. And, and we've got the good examples of that with the Rabbit Proof Fence movie. Yeah. Um, some time ago, that was actually um, part of the stolen generation thing going on. They tried to take the kids from their parents. Yeah. And they actually walked across Central Australia some 1,600 k's along the rabbit-proof fence to get home. Yeah, that's right. It's an amazing yeah. story, isn't it? And a true is, story. It is an amazing story. Yeah. Um, and I think what it's left is all of these people who really don't have a sense of who their family is, what their culture is. They don't fit in in white society, especially back then, because yep. you can't hide the colour of your skin. And they're not sure about the Indigenous communities, whether they'll accept them or not. And yeah, that's so right. Sort of floating around, it, trapped in between two worlds and stuff. Yeah, so the Bringing Them Home report was uh, amazingly influential and uh, the first National Surrey Day happened a year after that po- report was released, so that happened in '98 on the 26th of May and we've had a National Sorry Day ever since and there's been a National Sorry Day committee and it sort of is a focus point for people to just recognise the damages that have been done and um, figure out ways to make amends and for a very, very long time our government refused to make amends. John Howard made a very strong point of that for the time he was in Parliament and then pretty much on one of the first acts Kevin Rudd did uh, in his term as Prime Minister and I have to say one of the most touching, like it, it made me actually feel patriotic about my country for the first time in a very long time yeah. was when he gave that sorry speech. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was quite a, a good speech on, on his behalf. Mm. Um, we've had uh, Sorry Day celebrations here in Castlemaine for the last couple of years mm. um, and the one today was, um, was that up at the secondary college Yep. Um, with the students and the students playing didgeridoos and stuff. Um, yep, so that was first thing this morning. Yeah, yep. And what else is going on? Um, well, well, then it's um, Reconciliation Week from Friday onwards. So we've got a whole lot of um, activities going on all week. We've got a photographic display um, in the library for you. Um, which is which has been in the um, market building a few times, but we've got the smaller area this year. Mm, so it's the Fee Broadway Theatre for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've got storytelling for some kinders, kindergarten kids. We've got some um, sharing of teachings, teachings with some primary school kids. Um, we've got an Indigenous history walk through the CBD of Castlemaine. There's a few little mm. things that happened in the 1800s around town here. Yeah. Uh, and we've got a, a mural um, up on the top end of town um, 
which which we'll be launching next next week. Yeah, so um, hopefully we'll be able to have a chat to the artist. Yeah. For this yeah, segment. Yep. And uh, and let you know all about it. So they're all really good things. And there's one more thing that uh, is interesting, I think, as a development on Sorry Day. Um, the Sorry Day committee officially decided to rename it the National Day of Healing in 2005. And you re- recently made a decision about what happens to the flag. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, um, on past occasions, people lower the flag to half mast and stuff. And um, you know, for the whole time, we've thought that it should actually be a celebration that you know the Australian government has acknowledged that those things happen. So we like to fly the flag loud and proud and celebrate the occasion. You know, not mm. um, not more than as, yeah. as said. You know, when lowering the flag to half mast and stuff. Mm. So um, on one or two buildings, you'll see the flag flying, flying um, at full mast. Yeah, that's great. And I guess, I mean, the point with having a national apology by our Prime Minister for past wrongs done by the government, that's really important. But Reconciliation Week is... Uh, really also saying important as well. there's yep. so much more to go. We still have so much more to go. Um, Aboriginal people still have much lower life expectancy. There's so many health problems. Mm. There's, you know, all uh, sorts of issues. All, all sorts of healing things going yeah, on. there's a um, lot that still needs to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. So uh, if you have a chance, get along to the, the Castlemaine Library and check it out. And Vic Say... Uh, runs the uh, display there most years and he's got amazing books and maps and really, really interesting stuff. It's a historical display and all sorts sorts of things. All right, well, we've got a song we'll play on on this day, Sorry Day. Um, What are we going to play, Mick? We'll we'll play uh, one of our favourite fellows, of course, uh, Archie Roach. Um, They took the children away. This story's right, this story's true I would not tell lies to you Like the promises they did not keep And how they fenced us in like sheep Said to us, come take care of him Set us up on mission land Told us to read, to write and pray Then they took the children away children away The children away Snatched from their mother's breast Yet this is for the best of them Today we're hearing from Auntie Julie McHale, who spoke at the International Women's Day Breakfast, held in the Castlemaine Botanical Gardens at the Tea Rooms and hosted by Mount Alexander Shire Council. She was awarded Citizen of the Year earlier this year on Australia Day. Here she talks about the particular position of Aboriginal women. I believe reconciliation is the only way to move forward. I believe that more and more Australians are now embracing our culture and respecting us for who we are, what has happened to us and the strength we have to keep our beliefs alive. As with any group, there are still those who have stereotypical views, but in the last 10 years, through the work done by Uncle Brian, Uncle Rick, Auntie Kath, and many other Aboriginal people, including myself, and the support of other Australians, especially Vic Say, the attitudes are changing. When I was nominated for the Citizen of the Year, 
I was initially delighted, then went through the decision of whether I should receive this award on Australia Day, also called Survival Day and Invasion Day. Eventually I realised that although the date is unfortunate, every person who lives in Australia has the right to celebrate and to be proud and to respect each other. When I thought about refusing, I thought what would this achieve? By being very proud of receiving the award, I saw this as a step towards reconciliation. I have received so many genuine messages of support and I have not received any negative comments from anyone. This to me is reconciliation. People seeing that we can achieve much if we are acknowledged as being a cap capable and allowed to do things our way. I know Uncle Rick and the rest of the Aboriginal community of the Mount Alexander Shire are proud of me, but also feel proud of their role in supporting me and each other in the work we do. Vic and Rick and before them Uncle Brian worked tirelessly to bring about trust and respect. Walking down the street and seeing the flags flying, seeing murals, seeing signage and smiles and nods is so pleasing. This hasn't always been the case, believe me. What does it mean to be an Aboriginal woman in today's society? Being an Aboriginal woman in today's society is not always an easy job. Traditionally, men and women had very specific roles. In many cases, the roles of the men were taken away from them with the arrival of others. No more hunting, no more fighting to protect your family because you're always lost. Women, however, still had their roles. Children, matriarch, feeding, caring, and keeping the family together. In many communities, this is unbelievably hard. However, our women are very strong. In most communities, you'll find that it is the women who are the leaders, who make the laws and enforce them, who find themselves as the negotiators, and, of course, the ones who are blamed when things go wrong. Too many of our young girls are getting pregnant, not looking for work, not mixing with or even knowing their mob, not believing they have the right to a happy and successful life. Do you know that percentage-wise, there are more Aboriginal children living in out-of-home care than there has ever been before? That includes the stolen generations. It is the role of the aunties to fix this. <laughs> in this shire, Kath has worked so hard getting work for our girls at the hospital, the bank, Murnong Mummers, the Indigenous Foods Project and Sisters Dreaming, to name a few. We have business, uh, sorry, women's business yarns and we have found that inviting other interested Australian women to these has also worked so well. The girls in our community know us. They know that they can come to us with their problems and that we will go to them if we perceive there is an issue. Sometimes it involves yarning up, shaming, calling on family, getting grumpy, crying with them, and guiding them along another path, or simply just being there. Too often, schools, employers, and peers within our communities have no comprehension of the life that these girls live. It is our role to teach them. Our work in schools is essential. Children are usually accepting. Sometimes their families force their racist views onto them, but we are finding more and more that the children are challenging these views. Several schools, kindergartens and childcare centres in our shire can be proud of what they are doing. Most of the children in the district know the teachings and the traditions of our mob. There are some that need to catch up. 
The Aboriginal children in these schools are feeling safer and stronger. They are proudly saying they are Aboriginal. They are learning how to live in two worlds. Eventually it would be wonderful if it was one world. Young Aboriginal women in today's society in many cases have privileges that the elders never had. Most attend schools, are shown paths that they could follow and are supported in their efforts. Overall, young Aboriginal women in many places have opportunities that their elders never had. However, in saying this, I also acknowledge that many Aboriginal girls and women have disadvantages that are real and are significant, especially compared with other Australians. Most Aboriginal girls have most Aboriginal girls and women have experienced racism, often covert or institutional racism, where they are made to feel as though they are inferior. Sometimes this is patronising. Kath, Dakota and I have been asked why, we, why would we identify as Aboriginal women? We could get away with being white. No longer should we be looked at as the poor little Aborigines. We are proving over and over again that we are intelligent, proud, strong and willing to stand up for ourselves and others in our community. Yes, I am proud to be an Aboriginal woman as I know these children and the other women are as well. And with our sisters and aunties and you women, we will continue to thrive. Whitefellow books usually talk about the role of men because it was mainly men writing the books. And there is no way the women are going to talk to those governors about our business. <laughs> now, however, you see many books written by Aboriginal women. I was planning to bring some in with me but forgot. Our women are strong and we want to keep our culture alive. We want our children to know and embrace their culture and be proud to be women, proud to be sisters. Helping young Aboriginal women retain their identity is essential. Look at the girls who dance for you today. They are who we're talking about. We don't want them to be exposed to what most of their elders and parents have been exposed to. They need to be nurtured and helped to learn how to remain true to their culture in this Western society that we live in. These girls will stand up for themselves. They are being embraced by their culture. Thank you. That was Auntie Julie McHale speaking earlier this week at the International Women's Day Breakfast in Castlemaine. You're listening to a glimpse into the history and culture of the Jar Jar Wurrung people. Presented by Uncle Rick Nelson and Ali Hanley. <laughs>